Am I making any sense? Here we are, another episode of Am I Making Sense? Today, I have a very amazing dude on the <laughs> podcast with me. He currently hosts and produces the twice-weekly mic, Introvert Paradise, and can be found throughout the Zoomosphere performing his hilarious stand-up comedy, the amazing Kevin Wong. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So Kevin, I had some, uh, I did have some questions I wanted to kick off about comedy, but before we get into the questions, let's go ahead and talk about that backdrop of yours. Oh my goodness. Is this an office or is this your bedroom? It's, it's, no, it's a walk-in closet. Oh, nice. You convert yeah. a walk-in closet into your Zoom room. Yeah, it's, it's where I write, where I do Zoom, where I do podcasts and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a little creative space. Nice. So when did you start? Are you, have you always been collecting memorabilia or is it something recent? Um, I guess it's it's always been a thing since I was a kid. Oh. The last, I'd say, six, seven, eight years around oh. that time. Yeah. That's when I started to have money and I go, I could probably afford this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember going into, so I grew up in the 80s, which I think was the heyday of trading, buying, and selling baseball cards. How old are you? I'm 45. Okay, I'm 43. I just turned 43. So okay, great. So we're around in that era. So you remember right. going into uh, baseball card shop? Well, oh, we yeah, card shops, comic shops, whatever. But I mean, it was big business back then. You know, yep. um, people were buying entire boxes just to get. I I remember the Ken Griffey. Like you remember yeah. Ken Griffey? 89 upper deck card upper number deck. one. Yep. That's right. Oh my God. Talk about a bubble. That was a sports paraphernalia bubble that I don't know that we'll ever see that again. There, well, okay. So this is what I've learned about it. Um, there's a good movie on Netflix called Jack of all trades. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a kid that um, grew up. So he's like our age, but he remembers collecting stuff back in his day. And his dad owned, I think like three baseball card shops out in Canada and he was like, well, what? So he tried to sell the stuff that he kept, like these in boxes and like uh, saran wraps and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I'll give you 20 bucks. And the guy's like, for which box? He goes, the whole entire box of, uh, of uh, cases. Yeah. And he's like, well, why is it only 20 bucks? He goes, these are all bullshit cards. Like, Can uh, we cuss on this? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's oh, a little sorry. In custody on this. Yeah. So that's when he started to investigate what happened through through the years. And he realized that, you know, it's it was just all a, a big bubble burst like you were saying um upper deck found out that uh, the king of junior card was the card so they just started making all like sheets of them so they knew that they're printing 40 dollars just on on the king of junior card and just mass produced it all out there when you know you look at baseball cards like you only put a certain amount and that's just why the value goes up because there's only twenty thousand. yep the king of junior card everybody's got it because there's like millions of them so yeah Actually, once you started talking about the upper deck situation, I mm -hmm. think I have watched that documentary. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 It kind of fell into the back. But once you mentioned, because I remember that's what they were saying. It was basically like it, it was bullshit. They were, it was yeah. like printing money, you know, like, okay. oh, we're out of money. What do we do? Print more money. But then the base mechanic is that you just devalued everything. Exactly. And uh, I do remember they were talking about the correlation between the psychology of the times, meaning, it was, a, it was the era of speculation, right? You had stock yep. market speculators, you had um, mineral oil speculators. It, it was just kind of the way everyone was thinking. And so baseball cards kind of turned into an extension. Yep. Not just baseball card, football card, baseball card, all this pair of comic books. Comic books. And, um, but it wasn't something that necessarily was going to have the market. The reason there was a market was because there was so much hype around it. Yeah. Which, you know, ironically, we won't get into it right now, but I have a joke that we're going to go over in the joke par joke parade that talks about what's going on right now, which is kind of funny. But anyway, so let's switch gears a little bit. Okay. So we've bumped into each other on a number of occasions just here in the Bay Area um, at the on the open mic scene. Mm -hmm. um, then everything happened, right, last March. I haven't seen you since then, but I've been seeing all the promotions. I see that you're doing a... Um, a, a a zoom mic right now when did you start the zoom mic and how's it been going for you it's uh i guess it's almost a year i think i started it in march or april um yeah like you said everything kind of closed up and uh all my dates that i had um 
the in-person uh, stand-up shows, they became Zooms. And then and they go, do you want to do the Zoom stuff? And I go, what is this crap? And I, I didn't know what it was. And then I go, I don't want to just do a Zoom show without actually practicing or like kind of figuring out the mechanics, the timing, how it all feels. So I started the Introverts Paradise to just kind of get my feet wet. And uh, yeah, it just kind of blew up. It's um the open mics, uh, it's like two and a half hours. There's just yeah. way too many comics. So on Friday, I kind of limit it to like 15 spots just just to so I got some sanity because I mean, I could go into like it starts at nine. And I, I think one of them was up until like 1130. So it's just way too many comics on, on Thursday. But I kind of like it because it's a challenge. It's like a, yeah. it's like a marathon. So you kind of learn how to keep people engaged and kind of you keep the show going. So it's a difficult I would imagine it's a very difficult hosting task and what I've been noticing for from the Zoom mics that I've been going to, they are getting busier and busier. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I and I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think that more people are starting to do stand-up comedy just because it's so accessible through a Zoom? Or do you think that it's all the people who kind of quit for the last, whatever, nine, 10 months, and they said, oh, I'll come back whenever we go back to in-person. And now they're realizing, oh, in-person may never be what it was before. And then they're jumping back into Zoom. I think it's a little bit of everything. I think you kind of hit it on the head. Um, I, I, there is a lot of comics, like we've seen in the open mics. Like I don't, haven't seen anybody. I haven't seen anybody even out on the street or even on social media. They just kind of closed up shop. And they yes. just haven't done comedy in a while. Um, it's Zoom is not stand up. It's Zoom comedy. It's something slightly different. It's kind of like, um, however you look at what I, I mean even like when you do an open mic and you don't have the microphone in your hand it just kind of feels like weird you know this is kind of like that and i always believe that stand-up is its own form but for people to do comedy there's always something else you know like rob williams did tv uh dana carvey did saying out live so like all these people kind of have their own different platforms it's not exactly mike uh stage and like you know a a chair it's everything is just a little bit different. So the more, the better that you adapt to, to what we're doing, it's just, you're going to keep your muscle flexed. Yeah. I tell, that's what I'm telling everyone who, anyone who kind of is down on zoom comedy, I just say it's, I agree with you. It's not the same thing. However, here's, what's the same about it. You still got to write a joke. Yep. Got to perform it together. A set list. You still got to talk for five minutes. All these things will transfer over to the stage. It won't be the same, but you know, the worst thing you could do in this last 10 months, and unfortunately, I do think some people have done this. The worst thing you could have done in this last 10 minutes is to not try and think of new jokes. Exactly. Yep. And then if you haven't been if you have been thinking of new jokes, the second worst thing is to just sit on those jokes and not <laughs> in front of people. Right? Yeah. And so that's what the Zoom is doing for is it's saying, okay, well, maybe this is a little bit different. Maybe it won't feel the same. Maybe it won't even translate for us. But you know what? At least I've wrote, I've been writing some things that hopefully can turn into funny. Right. And then I've been trying it in front of people to see if there's chuckles or whatever. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. So do you think, being that you've been doing it twice a week for so long now, do you think that people are rising to the occasion and people are getting funny on Zoom? Yeah, I think it's um, it's a little bit, yeah, because... Um, I don't just do two, I don't host twice a week. I also jump on other people's yeah. open mics. Um, and it's it's a challenge because for me, when you see the same faces from other places like Cleveland or New York or South Carolina, they've heard her jokes. They've seen the rabbit out of its hat. And that, so for me to actually get them to laugh is I have to think of another way, like pull out another rabbit or pull out something else that kind of keeps them still engaged. So it's it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, for me, it's always been the new joke. It's that's where I get my high. It's not, it's not doing the same joke and you, and you hear the last because that's safe. Yeah. Uh, the way that you grow is if you start challenging yourself and start going like, what can I do to, you know, get the, the new laughs? So yeah, I think it's people have gotten a lot better. I think. I agree with you. I think this has inspired me to come up with new jokes more frequently um, because I'm in the same boat. I, I think you know, there are a number of us, we still have our schedules, our day jobs. Right. Some of right. us have the, uh, have the, you know, the family that we're having to like with kids who aren't in a classroom. Now we're having to 
um, add that into the things that we got to do. So you end up going to the same mics that fit into your schedule. Right. And those mics all have the same people. I mean, it varies one to two people here and there, but for the most part, you can't just, I mean, you can. I, again, I would say you're better off going up and repeating the same jokes than not going up at all. But ideally, you should probably be trying some new stuff, challenging yourself, maybe getting pushing your comfort zone, trying jokes that you don't know if they're going to work or kind of weird. Right. So, yeah. So let's let's rewind. Not rewind. Yeah, let's rewind. Let's go back. When did you start stand-up comedy? What was your uh, ten, I'd say 10 years ago. It's uh, I just had my 10-year anniversary out in, I think, October, November. Nice. Yeah. Where was it and what was the motivation for getting up? Tommy T's Pleasanton. Uh, the motivation was my brother was getting married. He got married and um, my parents wanted me to pay for the wedding. And I was like, why? Like, I didn't even think about it until I started talking it out loud. Then I realized, like, it's not my wedding. So why am I paying for this? Oh, and um, the more I kept telling it, I, I noticed that people were still kind of hanging around listening to it even though they've heard it several times so i just kind of started expanding it kind of got a little bit more creative with the story and i was like maybe i could do this maybe this isn't so hard went up and bombed <laughs> bombed so hard but all it took was just an audience member to like turn around and she just goes good job and she and she winked at me and i was like i think you know it wasn't that bad that's all it took just that wink so this was a story that you had already told friends and family on a couple occasions and then you tried to bring it on the stage well yeah yeah part part of it the other part was i was like well my idea of what stand-up comedy is is not like what i had in mind it was like you're just funny on the spot so for me it's like you come up with what whatever and that's what i tried on stage it just wasn't working i realized you need a set so then that's when i went into my set you know so yeah a little bit of both when i started comedy and i started just a couple years ago so i'm way newer to it but i had the exact same notion i thought stand-up comics were getting up there and winging it yep and then they were good <laughs> at pulling stuff out and then i realized you know actually pretty quickly it was probably within the third or fourth time i go oh these guys are repeating their stories and maybe they're moving one or two words around to try and get it right and then i would say I, I got into a headspace where, like you, I like finding the new stuff. I, yeah. We all get excited about the new shiny thing, right? Um, and I got in my head, I don't want to repeat a joke too many times. And so that became a battle with me where I said, no, 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 you don't understand. You, you, you have to, even if you look out in the audience and you see that, oh, I know everyone here has heard this joke at least two or three times. Just say it again to make sure that you internalize all the timing, you internalize the w words in the right order. So that was for the probably first year and a half was the biggest battle, just going, okay, it's okay to repeat yourself. Just go repeat yourself. And so once I got over that, I think things started at least. Where are you now? Do you do you try to something new every set? Yeah. Do you, okay. I, I do, I try to do a one, it, I try, there are some sets where I just go, oh, this is something I want to talk about with no expectations of making people laugh. So I, I think me and you are similar in one way in that I, I always like really getting into a story with friends and families. Mm -hmm. And so I think I could get friends and family going when I repeat a story that happened to me, right? Like there's a couple stories I have that my family loves hearing and I get really into it. Um, and so there are times where I get on a mic and I'm just thinking about something and there's no jokes really. And so I just yeah. start talking, 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 and I'm telling my story. Those usually don't go well, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay because that's what I like to do on some occasions. But then I also have joke jokes, right? Like jokes that I sat down, I wrote, I structured, and then I try them. And sometimes those go well and sometimes they don't. And so I guess to answer your question, what I try to do is there's some stuff that I know can get laughs and I'll always have that in a set list somewhere. Mm -hmm. But then there's a lot of stuff that I'm unknown about. Will this story, will people smile? Will they pay attention? Will this joke land? And then, so I would say my sets most of the time are like 50% um, just stuff I have. 
that will probably work. And 50%, I'm just trying things. Unless I get invited to a showcase and then right. I'll take like five to 10 open mics and I'll only work on things that I think should work. Um, and, but if I'm just doing open mics and I'll do long stretch where I'll just do months of just open mics, then it's like no pressure, right? Just say whatever, whatever I need, want to talk about. Do you need laughs or do you feel like you can, or do you power through it? Do you, do you feel like you just want to get it out of your mouth or? Yeah, I power through it. It's okay. okay. If people don't laugh, that's okay. I, I just tell myself it's all, you know, not getting laughs or I guess bombing, if you will, which mm -hmm. I want to ask your opinion on bombing on Zoom because I don't think, Pete Munoz once told me, he goes, at an open mic, there's no bombing and there's no killing. Just get up there, do your set and learn from it. But don't say, oh, I bombed because it's like a bad mindset. And I kind of have that mindset with Zoom. What's your opinion on Zoom? Do you feel a bomb is feels the same way as an in-person bomb? Or do you even think there is bombing in Zoom? Man, I, I've learned so much this year. Um, I, I wrote a little blog about my 10th year in comedy and I, I was kind of skeptical because I did not think that this was a comedy year since this yeah. is, you know, everything's all closed. Right. I've done, I think I've done maybe four in-person comedy shows where I'm actually seeing an audience and, uh, you know everything else has just been zoom yeah so a lot of my blog was about zoom comedy and i think with zoom i feel more brave in a sense because one you're in your your element this is this is my safe zone you know it's not like you're out in front of seeing all these scary people too everybody's at a distance they're just on my laptop if i feel if i don't feel comfortable i just end it you know yeah, yeah. um and a lot of what I've said is just kind of what I really wanted to, to, to say in comedy. So, um, and it's been year 10. So this is something that I feel like I've grown. So it, it's kind of hard to say because I don't, I, I agree. I don't feel like that there is a bomb yeah. anymore. Um, I, I do feel like uh, it's just how, um, yeah, it's really hard to describe, but it's just how I feel after a set. You know, if I feel like, yeah, I, I did what I want to do, which is get the stuff out of my mouth or maybe try it a little bit. But you also get to see people's faces. You get to see if they're engaged or not. And I, I've, I've done it long enough to where I know that I'm losing them or when I'm, mm. you know, so. Yeah, I haven't figured that out if I'm losing audience because, oh, oh, that's another, that's just an interesting curiosity. When you kick off and they mm -hmm. go, okay, whatever, whatever, Kevin Wong. Do you switch to gallery view or do you stay in speaker view? Gallery. You gallery, go to gallery? I, I, okay, I got to start doing that because most of the time I'm just looking at myself. If, <laughs> if I'm trying to look at the camera, I do two mm -hmm. things. I'll look at the camera and I'll look at my notes. So I'll be like this, 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 right? And then every once in a while, I'll look at the top, like the top where all the people yeah. are, and I'll see who's responding. But it's been really hard for me to tell what's going on. But I think I need to switch to start doing gallery view. Well, what's your, your trick with that? Do you usually just talk about yourself? Do you get engaged? Do you talk about the last joke or do you kind of riff on that? Do you build on that or do you? Uh, no, I'm so you asked about uh, powering through if I'm not doing well. So my instinct has been since day one, whether right or wrong, I, I have a set list that I go into every open mic with. Okay. And I just keep on going. Like every once in a while, if it's really particularly bad, I might go into, I guess what you would call a bomb type material. We go, wow, this is going good or something sarcastic. Right, you know? right, right. But yeah. I, I, I try not to do that. I try to, I try to stick to whatever I've written down. So if I'm losing an audience, I mean, it's only five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Well, five to six minutes on most of these zoom mics. So like if I lose them, I lose them. And then it's just about me trying to um, get through the set. Yeah. So I, I guess I don't have any tricks yet. And my, my whole thing over this last year is my true net positive is that ironically, I feel more connected to comedy as a community mm -hmm. than I did when I was doing it in person. Yeah. I agree. And the reason I say that is because, well, even like this podcast, right? Like me and you, we bumped into each other, but it wasn't a regular thing. Like maybe we would see each other, you know, once a month, once every other month, whatever. But, um, 
But then to do this podcast, it was so easy because I know like, yeah, Kevin's going to do, he's going to be agreeable to doing a Zoom. So whatever, we can do this podcast. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned comics on the East Coast in middle America. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel I, the last two podcasts I've done are with New York guys. And I, after this podcast, I have one with a Southern California comic. And so I just feel like the world is kind of shrinking for us when it comes to stand-up comedy. Yeah. And a lot of that's due to that displaced comics group that um, Nico put together. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. You know, I think 10 years from now, people are going to be like, they're going to be dropping displaced comics is like, oh, that's how I kept moving forward in comics. There's going to be a Netflix. <laughs> no, you know what, Kevin, I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. If 10 years from now, like, let's see what happens to the people in the displaced comedy scene. Because there's 5,000 of us now, right? Or maybe there's even more now, like 6,000. I remember when it hit 1,000. Yeah. That's a lot of motherfuckers. I would think <laughs> someone, someone from this group is probably going to pop and then be able to be like, oh, I remember displaced co comedians. And we're going to hear about that, you know? Yeah, uh, that that actually happened to me. I I got interviewed in, in the the newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, and um, the so when they hit me up, I I was like, are you sure you want to talk to me? Because I didn't feel like I was anybody, yeah. and I think they wanted a puff piece about how comics were so sad that the pand uh, pandemic happened and we can't tell jokes out loud. And I was like, well, I'm actually having the time of my life because it's you know it's on zoom and it's not the same thing, but I do feel so connected with all these people. Um, if I want to go out to New York, you know, I got contacts now. Yeah. It's just, it made us, I mean, it would not have happened because when I do go out to a big city like Chicago, I have to learn the ropes. I have to like go do shows or hit up people like, Hey, who do I hit up for a spot at this place? You know, it's not like, but now it's like you get to show your material in front of other people and they could vouch for you. It's just this, connection of other people from other places so yeah um that was that's how i felt and i wanted to tell them about this place i was like this is actually a really i like it, we i feel like every time i do a in-person uh set if I, I did 15 minutes out in modesto all new jokes is because i tried it all on zoom like i go this is the new stuff that i'm working on what do you guys think so it's it's it's, it's been a blessing i, I actually enjoy this right now yeah, no, I'm I'm the same way. And then, so you've done a live show, so that's great. Mm -hmm. Goes into my next question. You did jokes that you worked and worked on and honed in Zoom. Yeah. Did they work in person? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, did one in Modesto. I did one out in Santa Cruz uh, last Friday. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different than the one in Santa Cruz because it's in cars. You know, everybody's in their cars, so you get a lot of like flashing lights. It's uh, not quite like laughs, like ha ha ha, but you, you see like people flashing their, their lights. So it's a little bit, you're like, okay, that's a response. Right. So you just kind of like mentally tell yourself when somebody flashes at you, that's a laugh. Okay, good, good. So I want to ask about the name in Introvert Paradise. Do you categorize <laughs> yourself as an introvert? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it, it, it has been paradise for me. You know, that's, that's why, um, I, it's it's like it's it's been fun you know like wouldn't you say this if you are you an introvert man i'm i'm a um oh man we could talk so long about this so my wife came up with this thing where she read something about there's people who are um introvert extrovert extrovert yeah. introvert introvert yeah. extrovert extrovert introvert introvert something like this and it, what it, what she means by that or what this article meant was given the context, you behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not around a group of people, I will not seek out a group of people. So mm -hmm. I can stay in my room and play, play my guitar or read a book or do whatever. And I could just be in my room probably, I mean, no joke. I could probably be in there for months and not, <laughs> and not worry that I'm not getting out. However, when I go out amongst people, then I think I really enjoy being in the conversation, part of the conversation, shooting the shit, you know, like this podcast, I love talking with people. So I think I'm, I'm a, I guess you would call that an introvert extrovert. Like my natural tendency is to just be introverted, but if I get pushed into social situations, I do enjoy myself and I do like- Do you feel like you're yourself with groups or do you feel like you're- Oh, wow, you're going deep. Yeah. 
uh, therapy with Kevin Wong. No, I don't. I always feel I'm putting on an act. My whole life, I've felt like when I'm around people, I I meld to whatever. You're a I, chameleon. Yes, I meld to whatever. Um, I guess what, what do you want to call that vibe? Yeah. Or psychology the group has at that moment, then yeah. I tend to really blend in. So I don't know, and this is a problem with stand-up comedy. And so we we could talk for a long time. This is a problem because I never want to be known as a pandering comic. However, I do think I try and read rooms and I try and read audiences, and I sometimes change or adapt things a little bit in the hopes that it lands better with a certain group of people, which is debatable. That might be a good thing. That might be a bad thing. I don't know. So what about you? Where do you fall on the spectrum with in introvert, given what we just kind of talked about? I, um, you're, but, uh, um, regarding your situation of, uh, of being in a crowd, do I feel like myself or what? I, I tap out. If I don't feel like this is my type of people, I tap out. I'll just say, like, all right, I'll see you guys. I just leave because I don't want to be in that mindset because it feels like it's brainwashing. Like you just want to, um, just to fit in. I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I just turned 43. I, I I'm too old for this. You know, I feel like at some point, you know, who you are and you have to stay true to who you are. And, um, like, let's say if you get caught in a situation with like your friends and you're out in a massage parlor and the cops bust in, you're a part of that crew. Like people see you with, you know, in handcuffs or would you go, you know, what? I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. Tap out. So that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. No, that is, that, that is a good point. Um, I do think if it were to come to criminal, criminal activity, I hope, <laughs> I hope I would bounce out, <laughs> but, but I don't know. So I've always kind of, uh, yeah, I've always been like, maybe the reason I'm introverted and like being alone is because when I'm around other people and I take on that, psychology it exhausts me yes yeah but that's a great I, word yeah when i as i think you're right as you get older and again like it's been 10 months now i don't know how i'm gonna act around other people i mean i have my wife and my two kids and then co-workers all my co-workers it's all zoom it's been zoom for 10 months now um and so we aren't necessarily going out for lunch we're not going out for drinks after so i don't know how things are going to be when i get back to um just just getting out there. Uh, but I, I do agree with you. The older I get, the more I'm kind of like, uh, I, I, I kind of, I don't care. I'll, I'll still hang yeah. around with people, even if that's right. that I'm not vibing. Maybe I'll just watch and observe and think like, well, is there anything funny here I could write a joke about? <laughs> but, oh, I will say this. I am getting, as time goes on, I am getting more comfortable with just writing a joke and then whatever happens, happens. I don't change the joke. I just throw it out there. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Um, so that leads to another question I had for you. Where, where do you find most of your premises and most of your material? <laughs> um, I, from within it's, you know, uh, if people say something and it strikes me as different and, you know, like, it, like they'll say something and you just don't feel like it, that it's coming from a right place yeah it becomes material then i start dwelling on like why do you say it like that or why did she do this to me so then you know it's just all mental and i fantasize about it and that's kind of where i get some of the material other stuff like it happens it it happens or you put yourself in a situation um and you it just becomes material then you, you find the funny in it sometimes the stuff happens it's tragic and you even though you may not know it but years later you realize it's comedy so yeah no i i like the darker the comedy the more i like it actually really? i've always had a very macabre way of looking at the world and so you know the dark stuff i just i like that people sometimes step forward and say really what you would consider taboo and terrible stuff but try to say it in a funny way yeah that's comedy. I, I think the when for me it's always um you're not the only one. You know, for I I got a thing with true crimes. I love true crime. And uh, I did I was I didn't want to share that with anybody until I heard other people start saying it. I was like, oh my God, you too. And that's when I, I felt brave enough that I could share my um my obsession with true crime. So it was just kind of like one of those things. So when I realized that, I go, I need to share my my secrets 
to where people may come up to me and go, I like what you said there because I have that same thing. Nice. You know what? I've, I haven't ever gotten into true crimes. Although when I was younger, I used to love those kind of shows. Yeah. But you know what? I cannot seem to pass up. Anytime I see a documentary on a cult. Oh, okay. So fascinated by cults. Have you ever watched any of these documentaries on? Oh yeah. Abs- yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, which one? It was, uh, there was one in Oregon, right? That was pretty yeah, big. Yeah. I watched that one. Yeah, the Yoke. wild country, wild, wild west or something like that. I watched that one. That was great. That was captivating. Yeah. There was another one um, that just came out on HBO Max that had to do with this sex cult thing. This is kind of a recent thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the um, Nexon or uh, yes. it had celebrities. Yeah. Yes, that's the I one. I didn't see that one. Oh, that one. So I tried to come up with a joke on that. Actually, you know what? I'm going to sit on that one because I haven't quite developed that. Okay. That but at some point in my future, um, I do. I want to throw a joke out on that because, um, well, here's a general finding that I have about uh, all of these cult ones. I also watched a cult one about the Heaven's Gate, uh, the people who all. Uh, uh, HBO. Yeah, that was the HBO one too. Yeah, yep. HBO's been killing it with these. <laughs> But I always say this, like, you know what? That could be me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these, 100%. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. All of these guys who lead these cults, I'm like, when they show the footage of them just talking before we know them as this criminal mastermind, I go, I, I'm stupid enough to follow that guy. <laughs> you know <laughs> what he's saying right now? If I didn't know he was a cult leader. Mm, yeah, I could definitely buy into that and, uh, you know, maybe give up my life savings or the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's why I tap out. I, I tap out when, when I'm with groups and it just doesn't, I'm not vibing with them. I just, yeah. I, at the same way, I just felt like it might be a cult type of feel. That's why yeah. I tap out. Oh, there's, there's so much cultish behavior in mainstream thinking. Yeah. You know, and, I, and as comedians, I think it's almost obligatory <laughs> to point that out. When you see like, you know, this political stuff, which is why so many comedians gravitate towards politics because there's so much hypocrisy. Now, if you're being intellectually on- honest as a joke writer, the hypocrisy spans every angle of the political spectrum, right? It just doesn't end at Trump is a bad guy. Like there's there's nonsense across the board. Yep. Um, but I think we're all drawn to that because I think it's kind of on us to point out the hypocrisy and the silliness of so many things and say, Hey, is what we're doing here kind of uh, less um, organized and tidy society, or is it more cult like, you know? Yeah. We see it over and over again um, in the news cycle where things you look at as a comic and you go, that feels like a cult right now, whatever's going on. Um. So yeah, let me see. Is there anything else I want to go over here? So do you have any? Um, oh yes, there's another thing I wanted to talk about. So you've done in-person mics. Yeah. You did the one over in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um. So already you're okay going out and and doing in-person mics. I'm not. You're I, not. I'm okay. really not. I mean, it's I I have so much regret afterwards. Uh, I okay. pretty much self quarantine right afterwards. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to hang out with anybody for, for five days or so, but yeah, there is that little bit of guilt and there's that little bit of like, am I all right? Is that a scratchy throat? And why am I fatigued? You know, like all that, so oh, it's yeah. all mental. Yeah. Uh, am, am I ready? Not really. I don't think I'm really ready, but it's, if the opportunity is there, I have, I have a hard time saying no to a lot of yeah. stuff. So no, I hear you. No one's asked me to do an in-person one. I probably would say no at this point. I would want to mm-hmm. see, I think I want to see more, the, the vaccine go out more. I realize, I don't think COVID is ever going away. In fact, I read an article the other day that said that more likely than not, um, as the as our immune systems evolve, yeah, the COVID virus evolves, it's probably going to turn into more of a common cold. Um, wow. But it's not necessarily going to be going anywhere because even this vaccine that we have, it's not forever. It's not like your whatever that is, the meningitis shot where you take it and like, okay, yeah. good. No, 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 that's not it. It's like, this is the flu season. You get your COVID inoculation, but then another season later, you're still vulnerable. Well, it's been a year later and, and there's already two new strands, right? <laughs> there's one coming out in South, South Africa and the other one's coming from, um, or was it? UK. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's already mutating. So yeah, 
So I don't think it's going anywhere, but I would like to see, given, you know, just how things have been going in California, I'd like to see more inoculation. So I probably, I don't plan on getting out there probably until the end of summer, late summer, but then where do you think the open mics are going to be happening? Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't think Zoom's going away. I think Zoom is here probably indefinitely. But do you think bars are going to be opening up their doors to stand-up comedy? Have you- Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that's going on right now. There's um, there's Oakland. There's one out by, uh, I think, like a pier, like a harbor. Um, okay. Milk bar, they're doing their out, outdoor stuff. It's it's like, uh, it's pretty much on the sidewalk. You know, you got yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's, it's slightly evolving. I mean, I, I love producing shows, and I, I've... For some reason, I don't know why, but I, I still look, you know, and I found a couple of spots. I go, this might work. You know, there's enough distance from people and you're outside. There's a tent like it's a, there's an overhang. So this might work. But yeah, I, there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's just a matter of if you want to do it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm hoping that it'll be part of the healing process in the sense that in order to get people out, we'll be able to produce stand up comedy shows and then people yeah. want to come to bars, want to come to restaurants and get back out there. My my fear is probably like, are a lot of these bars that we used to go to going to be open um, when everything comes back? Because I know a lot of people had to walk away from leases just because they couldn't afford them. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a new spot, I think. It's going to be new owners, new yeah. location, new setup. I think anybody that wants to have comedy, live comedy, they're going to have to adapt to what's going on now. So it's kind of like restaurants, how they're adopting or adapting to, yeah, you know, the situation. Definitely. Cool, man. Hey, I want to get into a new segment on this podcast. So this is experimental and I think right. you're a good one to have on because um, I just talked about, I don't care about bombing, about not getting laughs. So what I've done here is I'm going to start adding a joke parade to the podcast. So we have a chat window here. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw out a joke and then we'll just, you'll, you'll read a joke. I'll read a joke and then we'll just riff on it. Okay. So I'm going to drop the first one in for you. This is pretty tame. This is my uh, going into the news to do a commentary. Let me make sure I have this worded right. Okay, here we go. I'm going to drop this in. You can read this one. I'll read the next one. Game stock, the GameStop stock story has broken another record. For the first time in history, hack comedians have written all the jokes possible. There's been a lot of GameStop jokes. And I think I've heard, I've heard enough GameStop jokes. Do you know what's going on with GameStop? And how many jokes have you written about it? Zero. I've not, okay. I've not written... <laughs> Well, for me, it's if it happens like a one day thing, I might, I think I, I opened it with in, the, um, in Santa Cruz, it was, uh, you know, how many people got their stimulus checks, how many people, whatever is like, how many people um, sold their GameStop stocks, you know, it's just like one of those things. It's just, I, I, I think if it's a day, I don't think it's going to last, but yeah. if it's been going on for like a week or two, then that's when you go, there might be something that's got a little bit of life that I can, you know. Milk. Yeah. The other thing. So that's another part of writing jokes where I go, this is just a momentary bump. Yeah. yeah. So a big one for that was the last presidential election, the grab them by the pussy comment. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that went out and within a week, probably every comedian had at least 15 jokes yeah. on that particular thing. But if you were to listen to them now, you just go, ah, whatever. And that's how I feel about uh, GameStop. But let me follow up that joke with this joke. In other news, the current administration has required that every podcaster, vlogger, and blogger must now offer a reaction to the GameStop stock story. If your podcast, vlogger, blog does not contain an ignorant opinion on the GameStop stock story, you will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. That's the other thing I see because I'm into podcasts. Everyone has had their hot take on it. How do you, how do you feel about GameStop? Do you feel like it was a, uh, like it's kind of a scam or do, do you think they exposed something uh, I think like a loophole? Yeah, okay. there's a double standard. And I, I think it's the same thing that was exposed in um, the 2008 um, 
uh, real Election? estate bubble burst. And mm-hmm. I think there was uh, also not not the same thing, but similar things in the bubble burst in 2001. I think that unfortunately we've become so deregulated. Yeah. Um, our our um, our financial markets are just so open to any kind of manipulation and just do whatever you want. It's so hands off that these things will happen. And as far as I'm concerned, all the people turning a buck, the media is calling them retail investors. I'm like, no, those are just fucking investors. Don't categorize them. <laughs> they're good or bad. They're just people who know how to invest their money. They're not hedge fund guys. So really the story is that these, um, you know, what they're calling retail investors, these are just people who know how to invest in the stock market. They took on the hedge funds. Yeah. They're still and they're still winning. And I and I think that irritates a lot of people, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't know how this one's gonna shake out. But I do think that enough has been said about it, so I will move on. Okay, here we go. Uh here's another joke. This isn't so much a joke. This is a thought that I had. Here, you can read this one. Drinking fountains are like doggy bowls, except for humans. Sometimes I just think, and I come up. Here we go. Here's the joke. I'm going to read this joke. If I ever come back as another man, reincarnation, I don't know how you feel about the afterlife, Kevin. If I ever come back as another man and I'm able to choose my sexuality, I would choose to be asexual. Have you heard of that? Asexual? Mm-hmm. You have no sexual attraction? That way, anytime I see a pretty woman, I wouldn't behave like an unbearable douche. <laughs> I got a problem. I'm a married guy, but I behave like a douchebag. Still? No, not as bad. Okay. Yeah, not as bad. Are you a married guy? You no. Did, no. No. Single guy? Yeah. Okay, let me see here. Let me find. Oh, this one's for you. This one's for you. I got another one here. This one's a dad joke. I'm also a dad. So I've got a dad joke for you. Astronauts were struggling with their hands getting too cold on missions. So NASA developed a new technology that warmed them up. And the new tech is called a space heater. That's a technology joke, my friends. That is a technology <laughs> joke. Are you keeping warm in this winter, Kevin, in your closet there? Do you yeah, it's only like... Uh, it's only like six feet in here. So yeah, of course I'm keeping warm in here. <laughs> you know what? I, it's amazing how the temperature is swinging uh, in this, uh, the last week, right? Like we had really, I yeah. mean, in California. So I hate to uh, complain, but we went from, you know, it was 30 in the thirties in the morning earlier mm-hmm. or mid thirties a couple days ago. And now it's pretty warm. It was nice out today. Yeah, it's going to be cold again. It's going to rain. It's going to be cold again. I think we got rain coming, which we need it. Thank goodness. Okay, this is a long-winded one. This will be the last of the joke parade, okay? And then we'll wrap up with final thoughts. The Disney hit Mandalorian single-handedly recovered the Star Wars franchise. What some people don't know is that there was another Star Wars storyline being worked on, which involved a lesser-known hero who was teamed up with a young Force-sensitive being. The hero is a hut. Do you know what a hut is? A hut? Okay, okay. Job of the Hut, and there's other huts like him. The hero is a hut, and the force-sensitive creature was an Ewok. You know what Ewoks are? Yep. Okay. The name of the series was going to be Fatty and his Furball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Mandalorian. I don't know if you like Mandalorian or not. Well, uh, what's what's going to happen in season three? Well, okay. I can. You know what? I'm glad you asked. I'm the guy to ask. Um, so Boba's back. Boba's, he's a badass. Now he's a hut, right? Yep. He's getting his own series. So, and he actually takes over, uh, what was Jabba the Hutt's crime ring or whatever. Is is he a hut? No, a hut is the big fat, the Jabba the guy. So So it's not the chair that he sits in. Well, they got another chair for him. It looks like they got some other kind of throne type chair, but with, uh, as far as, Darjin goes and this strain of, of the story. We don't know for sure, but here's what I can speculate. So I actually did a, a number of Mandalorian 
uh, themed podcasts. So here's what I think is going to happen. So did you watch it? Absolutely. Okay. So I think that, um, uh, oh man, I'm just, Bo-Katan, the gal, Bo-Katan, mm-hmm. the, the other um, lady friend. That's what I look like right now. I look like Bo-Katan. A little bit. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. You do have the Bo-Katan headband going on. There. <laughs> A little different complexion, but there's some similarities. <laughs> Not so, quite red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so she, as we all know, wants that dark saber. Yeah. But unfortunately, um, Darjin won it from that uh, uh, um, Moff Gideon, Moff Gideon in that battle. So technically, he's the ruler of Mandaloria right now. Yeah, right. So I think where the story has to go is how does that dynamic resolve itself? So Grogu is gone. Now, the big question is, can a series stand without Grogu? Because that guy was so cute, right? I uh, think so. I think so, too. I do. I think so, too. But uh, it, it'll remain to be seen. But I think the guy, man, this director, uh, what's his name? Um, the John Averill. Averill. Man, he did such a good job with every aspect of this that I think we're all going to tune in. Have you seen that meme with Favreau? It's a, they had JJ Abrams and it said like the words are, you can't, we can't um, appease the old uh, Star Wars fans and infuse the new Star Wars fan. Uh, It just doesn't work. Then you see a picture of John Favreau. He's like, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's a great meme. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, no, he did it. He definitely did it. And I think season three, they need consistencies. I think number one, I think Mando's got to have a piece of shit uh, spacecraft. So, so he could always be in need of repair. That's a big one, right? He's got to have friends, shitty friends that lied to him. So like he thinks he's going to get what he wants. Instead, it's just another direction. It's like, fuck, and he's got to you know, go through a whole new situation. Yeah. Um, and there's got to be some somebody else that's got to be from the past that we are misdirected into thinking, oh, this is a baby version of somebody. Yeah. So that, that'd be my take for season three. Just ca- keep the little consistencies going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And that was my knock. Actually, that was kind of my knock is it's, it felt like in season two, there were a lot of distractions with certain um, storylines not going through the main storyline. But I guess every... You know, like Bill Burr's character, like what's going to happen there? Because that he turned out to be like one of the favorites. The Did fam- you enjoy him in the series or were you kind of like, what the fuck? Um, okay. Yes, I was. I was definitely deep. I definitely was going, what the fuck? Because when he was in the car, when they were driving that big truck, mm-hmm. he was basically doing a Bill, Bill Burr, Burr podcast. Right. <laughs> no, I was going... Why did he write this or did the writers write this? You know, because what he just described in that rant was what he all whenever he talks politics, he always um, you know how I talked about as a comedian, we kind of have to roast both sides. Like you have to objectively say, well, if what they're if they're doing this and we call it bad, then when they do this, we have to call it bad. Like that's what he was saying. He was saying both sides are this is a fucked situation, but that's what he does in his rants all the time. And so Here's what I thought. I liked him. I did like him. I, I enjoy Bill Burr as an actor also. I prefer him as a stand-up comedy comedian, but I do like him as an actor. But what I would say is um, it felt a little too on the nose where I was going, these writers are either listened to his podcast or he went in and said, well, what if I say these things <laughs> in the <laughs> Well, I, I don't think he ever was a Star Wars fan. I've listened to oh. a couple of episodes and he he knocked it a couple of times. So it was just very interesting to see him, a guy that's not a fan, because I feel like everybody that's on that show is some sort of a fan that actually has a, a level of respect yeah. for the franchise. And he's just the one's like, what is this guy doing here? You know? Yep, that is correct. He's been very vocal about not knowing anything about Star Wars. <laughs> I don't even think he's watched most of the, the movies. I, I think he did say that. Uh, but you know what? That's cool. Whatever. I think it's good to infuse uh, a franchise with some people who, some, I guess, fresh blood. And But yeah, I would say everyone who was on the production side, whether it was the writers, whether it was the special effects teams, 
the directors, they were all like really into Star Wars, which is yeah. good for us, the fans. So anyway, I think we're going to go ahead and close this out, Kevin. This was a real pleasure, my friend. Oh, thanks for letting me do this. Yeah. Um, so anyone, anyone who's into comedy, whether you like watching comedy, whether you like doing comedy, please check out his podcast. You can find them listed on um, displacedcomedians.com in the big spreadsheet. It's Thursday and Friday. It starts at 8 o'clock, right? Nine. Nine o'clock. Okay, the yeah. nine o'clock stop. And hey, pack your lunch, guys, because you've got a lot of people wanting to do comedy. So um, definitely show up ready to play. Uh, is there any other promotion you want to go over before we wrap it up? Um, no, it's most of the stuff's on kevinwongcomedy.com. It's just, it's on the website. Cool. We'll get that tagged in the podcast too. So thank you so much, Kevin, for doing this podcast. And I know that we're going to be bumping into each other again sometime soon. Uh, come do my, my uh, Zoom open mic. I will. You know what? So that's, I've gotten so spoiled, Kevin. I, I think the latest mic I've done mm -hmm. since the pandemic is like, maybe I went to bed at 10. Yeah. Like all these mics I'm getting on, I'm getting on either, you know, in the afternoon or early evening. And so when I see the nine o'clock mics, I'm like, Ooh, do I want to stay up? Like, whereas before it was like, when I was doing in-person comedy, like I was never getting back until like 1.30 AM, 2 AM, whatever I was used to it. But now with Zoom mics, it's like, man, it's 10 o'clock. This is kind of late already. You're right. It's like, I, I could do five sets and not leave my room. And yeah. I could, I mean, it's, it's a safety thing. Like I could actually go to the bathroom and not worry about driving, get stuck in traffic just to make another set somewhere else. It's all right here. It's just, it's so convenient. Yep. No, it's pretty badass. So I will make your mic. Um, probably not on a Friday. It'll probably be a Thursday. So maybe this Thursday um, or next Thursday, I will be on your mic. And um, so you in early, log in early. I mean, we get like 30 comics on, on Thursday. And the way I, I, I can't um, let people bump because like when they all come in, they, they all come in late for some reason. So I always reward the people that, that log in early. Nice. Nice. Okay, that's another hot tip for you listeners out there. Log in early. <laughs> I am going to do. Well, great, man. This has been fantastic. Uh, just keep up the good work, and we will be in touch, my friend. 